Now, I am sure that for all of us, we, we all probably have in our minds some picture of what we think Jesus looked like. Uh, some image that comes to mind when we talk about him, when we read about him. Now, of course, we know that we're not going to know exactly what he looked like until we see him face to face. But there are some people who are apparently ahead of us on this one. Some people who seem to think they know enough of the Messiah that, well, they see his face everywhere. Let me give you some examples. Uh, There were the landowners in Colombia who decided that this hillside, right there, that right there, that that, that's the face of Jesus. Kind souls that they are, they decided to you know, charge a fee so people could come and see the face of the Lord right there. <laughs> or there's, there's this, this stain on a drain pipe that a woman saw and she said, oh, it's Jesus Christ looking right back at me. You might have to squint and look real hard to get that one. Or, or there was the man who went to a restaurant for a meal and he looked at the piece of bread that they gave him and he said, look at that, it's the Lord. But probably my favorite example that I found this week was a lady back in 2011 who was hanging her laundry up to dry, and as she did, she was shocked to see in the creases of her boyfriend's sock the face of the Lord. Now, you're going to have to be creative with that one. For me, I had to close my eyes completely and imagine the face of Jesus to to actually see it there. But look, the list of, uh, of these uh, supposed appearances of the Lord's face, the list is endless. There's the residue someone saw on their iron. There's the burnt cheese on a cheese pizza. The pattern of a pancake when it was made. On and on the list goes. All these images that people were sure look just like Jesus. Now look, as interesting as some of these might be, again, we don't know what Jesus physically looked like. But we do know who he is. We do know why he came to this earth, and we do know how he lived while he was on this earth. And when we read about how Jesus lived, what we're seeing, Christians, is we're seeing what our lives ought to look like as his followers. You see, the truth is that Christians are supposed to look like Jesus. Christians are supposed to look like him. And by that, I mean that our lives are supposed to reflect him. They're supposed to be modeled after him, so that when people see us, they would be pointed to Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we, we know that this is the goal, right? We know that we're supposed to become more like Christ. But what does that actually look like? How do we take steps towards that goal? Well, thankfully, the book of 1 John is going to shed some light on this for us. Now, last week, we started studying through the letters of John. 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And we began in 1 John chapter 1. And what we saw, we saw how it is that as Christians we entered into fellowship with God. But we also saw how sin strains and damages that fellowship we have with Him, that walk we have with God, when we ignore our sin and deny it and refuse to confess it. But this morning as we turn to 1 John chapter 2, we're going to see what happens when we do stay in close fellowship with God results are when we do walk closely and faithfully with him. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seat in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those Bibles, you can turn to page 986. 
page 986, 1 John chapter 2. And this morning we're going to see that the result of fellowship with God is that it's going to lead to us living like Jesus. So let's look together. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. John says this. He says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now hold on. What is John saying here? What's he, say, what's he mean when he says, I write this so that you will not sin? Is, is John saying that as Christians, we're supposed to be sinless? I mean, if so, kind of seems like a contradiction from what he wrote last time. He opened his letter telling us that the right way to respond to sin isn't to deny it, but to recognize when we can commit sin and then confess it to the Lord. So what does he mean when he says, I write this so that you will not sin? What John is saying is that as Christians, our goal should be that we wouldn't sin. Now, are we going to succeed in that goal? No, this side of heaven, we're not going to be perfect believers. But the problem is that a lot of Christians have this mindset, and the mindset a lot of Christians have is, well, all I have to do is confess my sins when I commit them, well, then I can just sin all that I want, throw up a little prayer afterwards. Or Christians think to themselves, well, if I'm not going to lose my salvation, then sin must not really matter. And I can just sin all I want and confess it later. John is saying, no, I'm writing so that you wouldn't live that way. Believers, the good news is that when we sin, Jesus is there to forgive us. But we shouldn't desire to live in sin as Christians. Now, are we going to be perfectly righteous in this life? No. Who's the righteous one? Jesus. Jesus is the righteous one. He came and lived a perfect life, which we cannot do. But as his followers, we should desire to live the way that he lived. And that's why John says this in verse 3. He says, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> getting choked up by what John says. <coughs> he says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. <coughs> but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anybody obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, when John talks about knowing Jesus, (coughs) this cold has made a comeback, so... When John talks about knowing Jesus in this context, he's still talking about fellowship, which is what we saw last week, okay? And what he means is that knowing him is to know him more and more as you walk in close communion with him. So John is saying, believe that if you're wondering whether or not you're walking in fellowship with God, just look at your life. <coughs> is your life defined by sin or is it defined 
by righteousness, believer? Is your life defined by obedience to God, or is it defined by indifference to his commands? Thanks, Shirley. I appreciate that. Thank you. Obedience to God shows a close walk with God because the more that you come to know him, the more that you come to know his righteousness and his love and his commands and his purpose, the more you desire to obey him. <clears throat> so the question is, does that describe us, believers? Does that describe us? Does, are we obedient to God in our lives? Or, believer, are you holding on to sin in your life? Are you in a pattern or a season where you're freely living in sin? You're not taking sin seriously. Or have you gotten comfortable with things? You've decided that, you know, you're okay with the amount of sin in your life. If any of these things are true for you, then that means you're not walking closely with the Lord. You aren't in fellowship with him. You aren't abiding in him. And if that's true, don't be surprised if he feels far from you. To live like that and then claim that your walk with God is going great, that makes you a liar. <clears throat> if we are living in him and in that intimate fellowship with him, John says the result is we're going to live like Jesus, the righteous one. You see, the first way that being in fellowship with God changes us, believer, is that we will love righteousness like Jesus did. If we're in fellowship with God, we love righteousness the way that Jesus does. And in that love for righteousness, we're going to start to imitate the Lord. We're going to start to live like him when we love righteousness. Back in the early 1900s, Charlie Chaplin was taking the world by storm with his silent movies. And his look became really iconic. And as a reminder for all of us, I think we've got a picture of that. Thank you, Trevor. <coughs> so Charlie Chaplin's look became iconic. Uh, the baggy pants, the big shoes, the derby hat, the mustache, the cane. And he was so popular that they would actually hold Charlie Chaplin look-alike contests. And it wasn't just about dressing up like Charlie Chaplin. You also had to, to act like him. Okay, to imitate his mannerisms. Well, one day, Charlie Chaplin entered a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest. <laughs> but the crazy thing is that he lost. <laughs> he didn't even come close to winning. That means that they must have been pretty good at imitating Charlie Chaplin. Now, look, believers, here's the thing. No one is going to actually mistake us for Jesus because we're not perfect, right? We're still going to sin. <clears throat> but we should strive to imitate our Lord and Savior. And so, to do that, we need to love righteousness the way he does. <clears throat> and that love for righteousness comes when we walk closely with him. Spend time with the Lord. Grow to know him more through his word so that you can see his example. Spend time in prayer so that he can change your heart. As you draw near him, as you walk closely with him, you'll naturally start living in obedience. You'll start living more like Christ. And you know what? People are going to notice that. And what a testimony that will be when we love righteousness. But fellowship with God is going to lead to more than that. Let's pick back up in 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 7. John says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. 
Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. (coughs) Look, God, at this point, when John was writing, God had already clearly commanded his people to, to be loving. In fact, all the way back in Leviticus chapter 19, God commanded the Israelites to love their neighbors. That's why later, when Jesus was asked about it, Jesus said the most important, the greatest of all the commands in Scripture was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest command in the Scripture is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then later, Jesus told his disciples specifically that they were to love one another in John chapter 13. All of this, these weren't new. These weren't new commands. The command to love one another was old. What was new is that the truth of it has been seen in Jesus Christ. Jesus showed what it is to love others. I want you to think about the example of Jesus for just a moment. Who did Jesus show love toward in his life? He loved his disciples, for sure, despite their many, many shortcomings. More than that, Jesus, he loved the outcasts, like the lepers whom he healed. He loved the outsiders, like the Romans, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, whom the Jews despised. He was loving towards all of them. He loved his enemies. He even forgave them for their wickedness from the cross. And he loved the worst of the worst, namely Judas, who betrayed him. (coughs) And as God's people, we have been commanded to love others, right? We've been commanded to love the outcasts, the down and out, to love our enemies, to love our neighbors. But Jesus said that the distinguishing mark of his people would be our love for each other. In other words, this would be one of the ways that the world is going to know that we're his followers. It's because of our love for our fellow Christians. So John says, look, if you're not loving each other, if you have hatred in your heart towards your family in Christ, then you're walking in the darkness. You're living in sin. You're not living in fellowship with God. And the darkness of sin and a heart filled with hatred, that's going to lead to a lot of stumbling and pain. No, instead, we're supposed to love one another, believers. This isn't a new command. Jesus had already commanded it. But what's new is that this has been seen clearly in Jesus Christ. So let's think specifically now. How did Jesus love his disciples? There are a lot of ways he loved them, right? He spent time with them, broke bread with them, comforted them, encouraged them, taught them the truth from Scripture. And you want to know something that really sticks out to me? Right before Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another, you want to know what he did for them in John chapter 13? He washed their feet. He took their dirty, sweaty, stinky feet, and he washed them clean. And then he said, now you go and you do likewise for each other. One way that we love each other, church, is by serving each other. Do we love one another, Christians? And if we would say yes to that, then the question is, how are we showing that love? How are we demonstrating that love? Loving each other as family in Christ is part of walking in the light. That's part of fellowship with God. You see, the second way that being in fellowship with God changes us believers is that we will love people like Jesus did. And that includes the body of believers. And when we love one another like Jesus, people take notice. People recognize that there's something different. 
It's a distinguishing mark of God's people. Back in the year 260 AD, there was this plague that came to the Roman Empire, just tore right through the empire. Thousands upon thousands of people died. And if you got the disease, the, the hallmarks of it were that you'd start vomiting, you'd have bloodshot eyes, your flesh would start to rot, and then ultimately you would die. <clears throat> so if anyone was suspected of having the disease, their friends and family would just abandon them so that they could die alone. But there was one group of people who decided not to abandon the sick, who decided that they were going to care for them despite the dangers of it. And that group was a small group of Christians. And afterwards, a Christian bishop wrote this about their efforts. I want you to listen to what he wrote. He said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and caring and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Yeah, those Christians chose to care for one another and to love one another despite the dangers and the guarantee of death that this disease brought. That's, that's love. And who does that selfless love remind you of? I don't know about you, but it reminds me of Jesus. Those believers knew what it was to sacrificially love one another, to love people the way Jesus does. Do we show love like that towards one another, believers? We will when we walk in fellowship with the Lord. And when we do that, we're going to look like Jesus in how we live as we love one another. But there's more that fellowship with God leads to that I want us to see. Look at verse 12. John says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God lives in you. You have overcome the evil one. Now let's just pause right here for a minute. Uh, these groups that John is addressing, children, young men, fathers, uh, these designations refer to the spiritual maturity of the Christians that he's writing to. It's not about their physical age. Children are the ones who are young in their faith. They've had their sins forgiven through faith in Jesus. They've entered into fellowship with the Father in that way. The young men, those who have progressed in their faith, those are, those are the ones who have invested themselves in the Word of God. And because God's Word lives in them, they've overcome the evil one. doesn't mean that they're perfect, but it means they're not so easily defeated by the enemy. And the fathers are the most mature among them in the faith. They're the ones who intimately know God. They're really walking with God the Father. 
See, the point is that spiritual growth comes from walking in fellowship with God, from growing to know Him more and more, from letting God's Word change you so that you can live righteously. You see, the more mature you are in your faith, the more righteously you'll be found living, believer. And the question is, you know, which of these descriptions describes us most? Are we still children in our faith, Christians? That is, we've been saved and forgiven, but we really haven't grown in our walk with the Lord? Are we seeing that spiritual growth? Are we seeing a love for what's holy? Are we growing near to the Lord each and every day? See, sadly, some Christians are just content to to keep the status quo. Uh, They don't really care about growth. They don't really care about walking with the Lord. They have their salvation. They're good with that. Uh, There was a farmer who once felt that way. This is a long time ago, many, many years ago. There was a farmer who, whenever he would go to church, he would say the same thing to the Christians there. He would say, well, he'd say, uh, I'm not making much progress, but I'm established. That's what he would say about his faith. I'm not making much progress, but I'm established. In other words, I'm saved, but I'm not growing. He was okay with that. I'm not making much progress, but I'm established. Yeah, one day that farmer was out working. He was riding along in his wagon, came to some soft spot in the road, some mud, and he got stuck, couldn't get out. Fellow church member drove by and said, Well, Brother Jones, I see that you're not making much progress, but you're established. And then he drove off. Look, we wouldn't want to be stuck in the mud. Believers, why are we content to be stuck in our faith? Our goal shouldn't be to sit still in our faith, to be stuck in immaturity and elementary things. No, our goal should be spiritual growth. And when we're growing, when we're maturing, what John says next is going to be true of us too. Look at verse 15. He said, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You know, if we love the world believers, if our heart's desire is for the sinful pleasures that the world offers, that shows that we aren't growing. We're, we're not living like Jesus. We don't love the Father the way that we ought to. How can we love God and love what God hates at the same time? That's like a person trying to claim of their spouse and they love the person they're cheating on their spouse with. That's impossible. If our heart runs after the things of this world, it's not going to run after God. We can't be faithful to both God and the world at the same time. John is telling us we need to be on guard against the lust of the flesh. All those sins that tempt us to satisfy ourselves, like with physical pleasure, or drunkenness, or sexual morality, and things like these. We need to be on guard against the lust of the eyes. When we covet and we envy what we see, when we focus our sights on wickedness instead of what's good, We need to be on guard against the pride of life because that selfishness, that pride that wells up in us is going to bring a downfall when we give into it. And you want to know where we find a good example of defeating these things that John just mentioned? Well, we find a good example in Jesus Christ. 
In Matthew chapter 4, that's where we read about Satan's efforts to tempt Jesus while the Lord was on this earth. After Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights, Satan came and he says, hey, uh, you know, hey, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Why don't you just do that real quick? In other words, why don't you satisfy flesh this way? Satan took Jesus to the highest point in the temple, told him to jump. Said, yeah, yeah, because the angels are going to save you, aren't they? In other words, why don't you build up your ego this way? Finally, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said, hey, I'll give all this to you if you'll just worship me. In other words, doesn't all this look good? You can have it if only you'll do this. Now, of course, we know that Jesus didn't give in to any of these things. No, with each attempt to test and tempt him, Jesus responded with Scripture. He responded with the truth. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Jesus said this in verse 31. He said, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus said, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. See, Jesus didn't give in to the things of the world. He obeyed and followed the Father's will. Why? Because Jesus loves the Father. And what you'll find, believer, is that the way that walking in fellowship with God changes us is that we love the Father like Jesus did. And when we love the Father, we're not going to love the things of the world because these things are in conflict. No, instead we're going to find ourselves doing what, what would please God if we love the Father just like Jesus did. Believers, here's the thing. When we love righteousness and when we love And when we love the Father, we're going to find ourselves living a Christ-like life. And people are going to see that. They're they're going to see when we love what's righteous. They're going to see when we love one. They're going to see when we don't cling to the things of the world. But we can't live this way and we can't grow in our faith like this unless we're walking in fellowship with God. Fellowship with God leads to living like Jesus. And I understand that for some of us this morning, maybe this isn't new information. You've got to remember, some of these things weren't new to John's audience either. But like them, we need to hear these truths again and again and again. You want to know why? Because Christians, it is very easy for us to become lazy and complacent and apathetic in our faith. To think that we've done enough. We've grown enough. Things are fine. We're just going to kind of retire from all the growth stuff and just coast through life. No. That's what we were. We were called to become more and more like Christ until the day that we stand before him. And the truth this morning is this. I know it's simple, but it's important for us. The truth this morning, church, is that the closer we walk with Christ, the more we will live like Christ. All right? You're not going to live like Christ if you're not walking with him. The closer we walk with Christ, the more we're going to live like Jesus Christ. That means that all of us today should step back and examine ourselves and ask, are we walking in close fellowship with him? John's given us some tests to see if that's true. Believer, is your life defined by sin or is it defined by obedience to God? Are you actively loving the family of Christ? Believer, do you love the Father or do you love the things of this world more? See, these are good ways for us to evaluate. Am I walking in fellowship with God or am I living in the darkness of sin? Maybe some of us have some things that we need to confess to the Lord this morning. 
during this final song, this invitation time. Remember, that's a time for us to respond. Maybe some of us need to repent to some things. Maybe some of us need to run into his arms in prayer and worship. And then I would encourage all of us to consider what could we do to walk more closely with the Lord this week? What could we do to walk more closely with him? Believer, are you spending time with God every day in prayer? And I'm talking about more than just those 30-second prayers that we throw up before meals and maybe before bed. Like, are you spending intentional time in prayer with the Lord? If not, my encouragement to you is start simple. Spend five uninterrupted minutes of prayer with God every day. Spend five. And if you're already doing that, add five more to it. Spend time with the Lord. Believer, are you reading your Bible every day so that you could grow to know Him more and more? Take Ten minutes a day in the morning or in the evening and read your Bible. Most of us, we spend more time than that on social media or watching TV. Can't we take at least ten minutes? See, here's the thing. Spending time with God is not, it's not actually difficult, but it is something we've got to be intentional about, church. And when we are, when we're intentional about that, we're going to find that we're growing in our faith. And when we're growing in our faith, we're going to find that we are living like Christ. And that's when people are going to see him in us so that we can point them to him. And that needs to be our goal, church. Our goal needs to be that we can point other people to Jesus Christ as we live like Christ. So church, that's my encouragement to you this week. Let's all evaluate this morning. Am I walking closely with the Lord? If we need to confess something, let's confess it to him. If we need to make some changes in our life so we'd spend more time, let's commit to do that this morning. However it is that you need to respond, believer, I'm going to encourage you to do that during this final song. But before we do close in prayer, maybe you're here and Jesus isn't your Savior. You've never put your faith in Him, never received that forgiveness that He offers. Friend, if that's true for you, I want you to understand that Jesus wants to change your life and He wants to change your eternity. All those sins that you might be stuck in right now, all the sins that you've committed, those sins that are separating you from God, the sins that deserve the penalty of hell. Jesus wants to forgive you of all your sin. He wants to save you from hell. He wants to come and live within you and allow you to live and love in a way you have never lived and loved before. But the question is, friend, are you willing to give your life to follow him? What you need to understand is that Jesus gave his life for you. So Jesus did when he died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he's taken the penalty of our sin so that we could be pardoned from hell, so we could be forgiven. And the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he forgives you, he gives you eternal life, and he changes how you're living. Friend, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have never made that decision, please know that you can come to the front. You can talk with Pastor Brandon. We'd love to talk to you more about that. But if you're here and you're ready to make that decision right now, we don't want you to wait another moment. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's where you're at this morning, you, you know that you haven't received that forgiveness. You, you've never gone to Jesus Christ in faith. You've never asked Him to be your Savior. Friend, if that's where you are right now, but you're ready to change that, you're ready to give your life to Christ, you're ready to receive that forgiveness Friend, you can follow me in a simple prayer like this. And if you pray this in faith, Jesus Christ will hear you and forgive you. And he'll save you from all those sins. 
Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin is separating me from you. But Jesus, I know you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sins and to be my Savior. I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to be changed by you. So today I give it all over to you. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that made that decision, they would share it with someone before they leave. I pray if there's anybody here who needs to make that decision but still hasn't, they wouldn't leave here without talking to somebody. They're in a room filled with people who would love to talk to them about that. I pray they'd come to the front and talk to Pastor Brandon. Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, who have received that forgiveness, help us to understand that we weren't saved so that we would turn around and live in sin, live in discord with each other, so we would live with a love for the world. No. You saved us so that as your people, we could live with a real love for righteousness, so that we would know what it is to love one another. That as a result, we would love you, not the world. You saved us so we could be with you forever. And we thank you for your goodness and your grace, your mercy and your love. Father, I pray if there are any of us here today, your people, your children, who need to make some changes, we have some sins we need to confess, that we would do that this morning. Maybe we need to reprioritize things so we would spend more time with you, that we would make that commitment, that we would follow through, so that we would be found growing in our faith and living like Christ so that we could point people to you. However it is that we need to respond, I pray you lay it on all of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.